this year, I need to eat less. You know what? I do solemnly swear that this year I will lose 10 pounds. Or at least five. Five is the magic number. That's how many times I want to visit my grandmother this year, which would be five more than last year. Learn to wait. I always want things instantly. I need patience. Now, this year, I'll be nicer to my parents. What, Mom? Get off my back. I just need peace in my life. I'm just so nervous all the time. I just... I'm twitching. Three kids. I'm a twitcher. I'm twitching. I twitch. I just can't seem to get... My pits to stop sweating. Can you... Can you see this? Look. When did I become the human leak? I mean, I know I've got some stress about my future and everything, but why can't I just be like everyone else and conceal it? Okay, I'll just have to fake it till I make it. And I'll... Be better than I've ever been in my entire life. If I'm going to make this year count, I have to do some things differently. It's too pay time. Make some goals this year. Just three, not ten. Stop judging people who aren't like me. Stop snapping at my kids. Dream! Character over image. Learn that I'm loved, but not entitled. God, if you forget about me, I'm here. Just show me what to do. Give me the strength to change. What am I saying? I don't even know if I want to change, God. I'm comfortable. I have a good life. I know. You want the best for me. So why don't I want the best for me? Starting tomorrow, using my gifts and talents, I'm going to live my life differently. God's way. I'm tired of keeping this great gift. A secret. Can I tell you a secret? I feel like I'm separated from something. That sounds weird, doesn't it? But whatever I need, it's bigger than this world can offer. I offer my life, God. It's something much more than what I can see. So please, God, would you just take this little bit of faith that I have? I just can't wait another year. It is toupee time. (laughs) Truth over character, something like that. Uh, this is a, a Christmas present that my good friend John Colander gave to me, thinking that it might improve my image and at least keep my bald head warm. It's pretty hideous, isn't it? And, and this is what a good friend he is. When he gives it to me, he goes, it matches his hair perfectly. So he tried it on to make sure that it matched his hair, and then he gave it to me. Thank you, John. Thanks for nothing. <clears throat> When it comes to knowing the truth about you, brand new series, we're going to do this for seven weeks. We're going to talk about the truth about you, the truth about me. When it comes to knowing the truth about us, we all suffer from something called a spiritual blind spot. Let me give you an example. In a group, if somebody is a little odd, in a group, if if everyone is singing and one person is singing off key, or if in your group um, somebody has an irritating mannerism, for example, they talk too much, they talk too loudly, they talk too quietly, they invade your personal space, right? Um, 
Or if somebody in your group is emotionally needy so that everyone else in the group cringes when they see them coming because they're going to suck the life out of everybody in the room. If somebody has a problem, here's the question. Who is the last person to know about the problem? The somebody who has the problem. Yes. So do you know what that means, right? What that means is when it comes to the truth about you, you don't know what the truth about you is. Now you can follow along on your listening guides there, or if you have your uh, smartphone and you have you version, you can go there and you can look for the notes on there. Now, other people know about the problems that you have. They talk about them when you're not in the room. And, and the reality is we all have this issue that when it comes to the truth about us, we don't know what the truth about us is. And this is a big problem. And as you might have guessed, the Bible has a lot to say about this, what causes it and, and the root problem. Uh, and so we're going to look at this really interesting story about King David. Now, he was so serious about his own spiritual life. Most of you know this, that he was called a man after God's own heart. Um, he, he wrote a lot of the Psalms. He was a leader of worship. And um, when it comes down to it, though, the truth about David was that, that David didn't know what the truth about David was. Now, one day this man, King David, he's very wealthy, very powerful, has lots of wives, has everything that he could possibly want. And he looks out off the roof and he sees the wife of a much less wealthy, much less powerful man. And he took her. Her name was Bathsheba. He just took her simply because he could. He had sex with her. She got pregnant by him. Then he abuses his wealth and power, and he tries to cover up what he'd done. In the ancient world, this was something, this never happens in the modern world, but in the ancient world, politicians thought they could cover things up, right? And, and so he thought he could cover up his wrongdoing, and he literally destroys the man's life. He has him killed on the battlefield, sends a note to his commander. They, they go to the, the fiercest part of the battle, and the, and the note said, whenever you are there, withdraw, but don't tell Uriah. Let Uriah be killed, and you'll not get in trouble for this because I, the king, have commanded you. Now, at least nine months go by because the baby is born. As far as we know, David keeps writing psalms. As far as we know, David keeps leading Israel in worship. He keeps serving God, the king, as if he were a man of integrity. But but in his heart, he has to know better. And, And when you read this story, you say, how could this possibly be? Eventually, a prophet named Nathan finds out about it because, I, because a lot of people found out about it. It's hard to keep this stuff covered up. At first, when David's walking around on the roof, he sends a messenger to find out who this woman is. The messenger comes back and says, this is Bathsheba, Uriah the Hittite's wife. And that should have been it. So at least one messenger knew. But then he sends messengers, the Bible says, to go and get her and to bring her over there. He has sex with her. He sends her home. We're assuming that he has messengers there. Then when she gets pregnant, she sends a messenger to David. I am pregnant by you. And then David sends a message to Joab, the the, the commander of the army. There's all kinds of people involved. It is very, very difficult to keep these things covered up. So one day, a man named Nathan, he's the prophet for the kingdom. He finds out about it. And I want you to see what happens when Nathan comes to court, a public event. This is in 2 Samuel 12, starting in verse 1. So the Lord sent Nathan the prophet to tell David this story. There were two men in a certain town. One was rich and one was poor. The rich man owned a great many sheep and cattle. The poor man owned nothing um, except one little lamb he had bought. 
He raised that little lamb and it grew up with his children. It ate from the man's own plate and drank from his cup. He cuddled it in his arms like a baby daughter. One day a guest arrived at the home of the rich man, but instead of killing an animal from his own flock or herd, he took the poor man's lamb and killed it and prepared it for his guest. Now, Nathan tells this story to King David and then he waits for a response. And this, this is just an incredible moment because the the, the air had to be just thick with tension because if anybody knew the backstory, they knew the real story, they're going, oh my goodness, what are you doing, Nathan? Already one man's died over this thing. Do you want to be the second man? Because it doesn't take a high IQ. It doesn't take you know a whole lot of imagination to figure out what David is doing here. So they're looking at, Dave, at Nathan and he says, here's what's going on, David. And then they pause and they look at David because they think, oh, the hammer's about to come down. And they're amazed because David doesn't look like he's caught. He doesn't look embarrassed. He doesn't look guilty. In fact, I want you to see what he does here in verse 5. David, what are those next three words? David did what? Help me out. Burned with anger against the man and said to Nathan, as surely as the Lord lives. Now, doesn't that sound pious and righteous? As surely as the Lord lives. This wasn't actually a show. He's been, he's been sucked into this story and, and he gets very angry with the man in the story. He burns with anger and he says, as surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this deserves to die. That man needs to die. Oh, really, David, the man whose sin is exponentially less serious, less dark than your own, that man deserves to die? David pronounces judgment, and and then everybody in court, there's just crickets. Because David doesn't know. Everybody else knows. And I don't know how long the, the, the pause was, but then Nathan says, David, you're the guy. You are that man. And then if you read it, man, there's about six verses where Nathan doesn't even give him a chance to respond. He says, the Lord is, is displeased with you and the Lord is going to do this. And, and because you did this in a time of war, the, the, uh, the sword will never depart. And, and he just says all of this stuff about him. And see, um, I think that Nathan was going, David, do I really have to draw a picture for you? Because let's review the story one more time. Rich, powerful guy takes the poor guy, what he prizes, takes it by force, destroys the poorest guy's life, plays the hypocrite in public, and everybody knows it. This, this goes back. This tells how old I am. Something rings on the table. Ring. And it's the clue phone. Y'all remember the clue phone? He says, David, it's for you. Because you're the man. Now, in the King James, it says, thou art the man. That's, that's a pretty powerful phrase. You are the man. Thou art the man. And see, what happens is, because we're in the 21st century, because we have technology, because we have all of this stuff, we think that we are so much smarter, so much brighter, more informed than people of the ancient world. But I want to ask you a question. Are we as informed about the inner workings in a person's heart as we are about the stuff that happens out here? That's no we're not any smarter than they are. And, and uh, I know what's going to happen. So, and I'm going to tell you ahead of time, don't be the person that does this. Don't you be the one because I'm going to talk about you next week if you're the one. I'll call names, put pictures on the screen, all of that. Somebody's going to come up today and they're going to say, man, that was a good message. I know somebody who needed to hear it, but they weren't here. And if you do that, I'm going to say, you're the man. 
you're the woman. Because God didn't bring you here by accident. He wants you to look into his word and be changed by what he wants to tell you today. (laughs) Now, this is the reality of the human condition. I I read um, a blog, a guy wrote a blog about somebody named Victor Crawford. Crawford was a lobbyist for the tobacco industry. Uh, He worked for years to defeat defeat anti-smoking bills. So he spent his entire working career trying to defeat any legislation that would regulate smoking whatsoever. He was a lifelong smoker, and at age 59, he is diagnosed with throat cancer, and then he died from throat cancer just a few years later. Right before he died, here's what he said. I think I've got this on the screen. In a way, I think I got my just desserts because in my heart, I knew about it. I knew better. See, the truth about you, the truth about me is we don't really know what the truth about us is. Now, if we were to try to deceive another person, I kind of get that. I'm not condoning deceiving another person, but I understand. I know something you don't, you know something that I don't, and we don't share. One person knows, the other person doesn't know. I, I get that. I understand that we deceive people. But how can I be both the deceiver and the one who is deceived? How, how am I the person that doesn't recognize my own faults. And, and I think you know, if you, if you spend any time thinking about this, you know that our hearts deceive us. Back to Crawford. Here's what he says. I knew better, but I rationalized and denied because the money was so good. I sacrificed my health, my body, my integrity because the money was good and because I could always rationalize it. Then he says this interesting thing. That's how you make a living by rationalizing that black is not black, it's white, it's green, it's yellow. Clue phone's ringing. Too bad Victor didn't answer it when he was alive. He's the man who is deceiving himself. And and if we're going to be honest today, everybody in here, we can deceive ourselves. Now the question I want to ask you to help you diagnose where you are on this self-deception thing, here's the question. Am I quicker to pass judgment on or gossip about other people than I am to see and feel the painful truth about myself? Ouch. Am I quicker to see it, pass judgment on it, gossip about it in other people than I am to recognize the exact same behavior in my own life and repent for it? Nathan brings this whole account of injustice before David because, see, back in the ancient world in this time, they didn't have separate branches of government. They didn't have the the judicial system over here and the executive branch over here. The king was it. And so part of David's job was he would hear cases all day long and then he would make judgments. He would pronounce justice. So Nathan brings him this story and David is able to see with unbelievable clarity what another man did at a distance while at the same time ignoring a deeper, darker sin in himself, his own behavior. Now, I don't know if you've noticed this, but, but some people have 20-20 vision when it comes to the problems of everybody else. None, none of you, right? It's those other people that aren't here today. They have that problem, not y'all. But this hit me a couple weeks ago. I was meeting with John and Joe out here in the, in the living room. And what we do is we try to get together once a week. Sometimes we can't. But what we do is we just get together and we laugh. Oh, man, we have so much fun laughing. And, and we talk about what's going on in our lives. And we pray together. And so that takes anywhere from an hour and a half to three hours. Yeah, and saying three hours. Um, I'll cover for you, brother. Three hours, yes. Yeah, he didn't leave here. No, I'm, I'm messing with you. And, and two weeks ago, this is what happened. Um, we had all shared, 
And, uh, and it was funny because it, while they were praying, this is what God revealed to me because I was thinking about this sermon. And I even said this in my prayer. So what I re- realized was John was saying, well, I have this issue, this issue, and this issue. And so Joe says, well, dude, you need to do this. And now you un- need to understand, we are close enough that we have given each other the permission to speak truth. Give you an example. Several months ago, I was kind of upset with my wife. This doesn't happen real often, but I was upset with Janie and, and I was kind of pouting about it. And when I came up here, I just started talking about it. And I said, I think I'm kind of being a baby, but here's how I feel. And John goes, you are being a baby. <laughs> Shut up. I didn't say that, but it's what I wanted to say. But here's the thing. He was exactly right. And, and although I didn't want to hear it at that moment, later on, I was like, I don't want to be that guy. And so as I was praying two weeks ago, I said, God, we all need people who see our blind spots, love us anyway, and speak truth into our lives. And see, Jesus used a metaphor that explains kind of what's going on here. Matthew six twenty two, he says this, your eye is a lamp that provides light for your body. When your eye is good, your whole body is filled with light. But when your eye is bad, that means when you can't see the truth about you, when your eye is bad, your whole body is filled with darkness. And if the light you think you actually have is darkness, how deep that darkness is. We think we're spiritual. If you think you're spiritual, you're not. If somebody says, well, I'm humble. <laughs> no, you're not. Well, I'm man enough. No, sorry. If you got to tell me you're man enough, you, you act like a man and somebody else will say, that's what a man does. That, that's different. You understand the difference there? And, and even in terms of physical vision, that's talking about spiritual vision, but physical vision, we have this, this thing where um, it comes with age. I remember my eye doctor telling me when I started at 40, I'm 50 now, but at 40, he kept saying, you're going to have to have bifocals. You're going to have to have bifocals. And he'd say, doing it yet? And I'm like, no, man, I, I can read. No problem. Because my eyes have always been about the same. I put my contacts on and I could see, man, no problem. About 45, I'm starting to have to do this with my books. And I went in and, and it was pretty cool because the, the doctor said, you tell me where you want to hold that book and, and we'll fix your eyes. And so I said, right there. And so he dials it in, you know, well, it's this condition where our, the lens loses its, its elasticity. It gets stubborn. It gets hard. It gets stiff. You can see stuff out there better than you can right up close. And, uh, the closer it is, the less well you can see it. Now, I don't know. Is anybody else experiencing that yet? I know we got a young congregation here. You're going to, and I'm, those of you who don't, you know, I'm just going to say, yeah, welcome to the club. See, I'm 50, and I'm one of the senior adults in this church, but that's all right. Uh, there's actually a term for this condition, and it's called presbyopia. Now, this is interesting. I'm not making it up. It's a real word. It's from the Greek word for elder, and it's where we get the term presbyterian, because presbyteros means elder, and optikos means vision. And it means older vision. And we get kind of stubborn in our ways and we refuse to see things that are in our own life. And we get so used to it, we don't even notice it. It Happens physically, it happens spiritually. The truth about us is even when we are doing the spiritual things, our spiritual faith can keep us from seeing the truth about us. Let me me show you an example. James 1.22 through 24 says this. But don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you are only fooling yourselves. For if you listen to the word and don't obey it, it's like glancing at your face in a mirror. You see yourself walk away and forget what you look like. 
Now, who would do that? Who would look in a mirror and forget what they look like? The other day I was driving back from, I mean, just this last Wednesday, I was driving back from almost in Mexico, 400 miles to get back here. And as I'm driving, you know, I'm kind of stretching and I feel something on my ear. And so I start scratching on it and I thought, oh man, I got a piece of dirt on my ear. So I scratch and I scratch and I scratch. And all of a sudden I look down, there's blood all over my finger. And, and Brad Gruchner was over here and I said, hey dude, I said, do you see that? And he goes, holy cow, dude, you're bleeding like crazy. And so I looked up in the mirror and I saw this blood coming down. I didn't have any napkins, anything in the car. So I just let it roll. You know, I just went on. So we go to Bucky's because it's like against the law to pass too many Bucky's. We passed one, but there was another one 45 miles away. I knew this because I checked. And so there was another one that we were going to stop at. So we stop at Bucky's. We go in. I get my beef jerky. I get my sweet tea. We fill up with gas and we're ready to drive on. I never even looked in the mirror. Didn't think anything about it. Drove home, went and saw the family, came up here because I had to be here for band rehearsal and went through band rehearsal. And then I saw several people Wednesday night, talked to all these different people. Then I get home later that night and I see this huge, nasty black thing down my ear. And I said, oh my gosh, why didn't anybody say anything? Because they're thinking Doug's ear is infected. I mean, because it was, it wasn't like you, you could see it from the back of the room. I went, oh no, I've been running around all day. I completely forgot. We do it all the time. Now, let me, let me see. Have, does anybody here ever look in the mirror in the morning and you're like disappointed in what you see? <laughs> Nobody. I see some heads nod. Okay. Well, if you're a woman, at least you can do something about it. You can paint that barn. But if you're a dude, you get up and look at yourself in the morning. That's as good as it's going to be the whole day. It's not like I can fix my hair. Yeah. <laughs> That's John's. At least by one. Well, he doesn't know what my color is, so I'll, I'll cut you some slack on that. James says the Bible is a mirror. It's a truth mirror for our spiritual lives, for our souls. And truth from God is indispensable for this thing called self-awareness. Now, self-awareness is what we call it in our day, which is ironic because you can't even figure out what is wrong with your life apart from God. We need God to reveal things to us. It's way deeper than psychological stuff. It's way deeper than just myself. And it's why I don't believe a Christian, uh, somebody who's a non-Christian counselor can give you the full counsel that you need because I think the only way to fully know the truth about you is somebody, sure, you can study all of the emotions, you can study the brain, all of the chemicals, all those reactions, but apart from a, a knowledge of how God created us and what his word says, you can't give someone the full counsel that they need to become who God wants them to be. The word of God is indispensable for this. But if I read the Bible the wrong way, it can actually be a hindrance. And, and if I don't seek to do what it says, if I don't seek to let it mold me, then it can be a hindrance to me understanding who I really am. The Jesus person that he wants me to be. Because I can misuse the Bible and I can deceive myself by saying, I read the Bible today. That's spiritual. Or I can read something, I go, oh, that's awesome. I got to tell so-and-so about that. Not because so-and-so needs to hear it, but because I learned it, right? And we can even take spiritual things and it can lead us away from God. Paul warned about this when he said in Romans 12, 3, I give each of you this warning. Don't think you are better than you really are. Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves, measuring yourselves by the faith God has given us. You want to know what's really sad? Apart from God's word, you're not going to hear counsel like this anywhere else in our world. Paul says, you got to understand because there's something inside of you that is dark and that is sinister and it will deceive you and keep you from becoming who God wants you to be. 
it won't be good. And he says, I want every, every one of you to hear these words. Don't think you are better than you are. So because we're a church of grace and, and goodwill towards all men, and because I want to make sure you get this, if you don't get anything else, you need to get this right here. So I want you to turn real fast to your neighbor. And I want you to say, don't think you're better than you really are. And if you need to use your finger to get the point across, go ahead and do that real fast. Do it. We are all about grace here. Now look what God's word says in Proverbs fifteen thirty two, And this, this ought to cause us to pause just a minute. Those who refuse correction hate themselves. But those who accept correction gain understanding. It, they said it in the, in the video, the skit guys video. The truth about me is sometimes I don't even want to know the truth about me. Because it's kind of painful. And the truth about me is only God knows the truth about me. The truth about the truth is if I go face the truth, Jesus says the truth will make you free, but first it will make you miserable because if you go and you, you experience truth with Jesus, it's going to kill you. But then he's going to raise you to a new life, something you've never experienced before. That's the truth about the truth. In, in one of C.S. Lewis's books, it's uh, The Voyage of the Dawn Treader, there's a, there's a character named Eustace, and he's been turned into a dragon, and it's a picture of how sin dehum, uh, dehumanizes us. It makes us into a monster. Now, Eustace, uh, Aslan shows up. If, you've seen, if you know anything about this, you've seen any of the movies, you know that Aslan is a representation of Christ. He's this massive lion, um, but he represents Jesus Christ. And, and Aslan shows up, and he, he invites Eustace to bathe in this pool that will cleanse him and restore him. And of course, Eustace, he doesn't want to be this dragon. And I mean, a flying, fire-breathing dragon. He doesn't want to be that. He's become a monster because of his own bad choices, because of the sin in his life. And so he says, sure, he wants to do this. But then Aslan says, you must undress first. And this kind of confuses him until he realizes that he needs to repent, confess, which means take off all of this, this dragon skin, put it down before he goes and um, bathes in the pool. So he tries to do it, and it's very, very hard work. It takes a long time, but he peels off some skin, some hard, scaly dragon skin. And when he goes to the water, he looks down at his foot, and he sees that it is the same hard, dry dragon skin that it was before. So he goes and he tries again. He peels off some. It's a difficult process. And he goes, and three different times he tries to peel the skin off, and he gets frustrated because he can't do it. And Aslan, Christ, says, you're going to have to let me do it. Now, here's what Eustace writes. He says, I was afraid of his claws, I can tell you, but I was pretty nearly desperate now. I just lay flat down on my back to let him do it. The very first tear he made was so deep that I thought it had gone right into my heart. And when he began pulling the skin off, it hurt worse than anything I've ever felt. The only thing that made me able to bear it was just the pleasure of feeling the stuff peel off. He says, you know, if you've ever picked the scab off a sore place, it hurts like Billy. This is his words. Oh, but it is such fun. See it coming away. When he peeled the beastly stuff right off, just as I thought I'd done it myself the other three times, only they hadn't hurt when he'd done it. He said, there it was lying on the grass, ever so much thicker and darker and more knobbly looking than what he had pulled off. And he said, there I was, smooth and soft as as a peeled switch and smaller than I had been. So dragon, now he's got no skin on. Then he caught hold of me. I didn't like that much for I was very tender underneath that I did now that I had no skin on. And he threw me into the water and it smarted like anything, but only for a moment. After that, it became perfectly delicious. And as soon as I started swimming and splashing, I found out that all the pain had gone from my arm. And then I saw why I turned into a boy again. Now, this is where I wanted to get to today. We're going to finish with this. The truth about you 
is you're not really you yet. The truth is God knows what you're really like, and when you become the me that God wants you to be, you will experience fulfillment in your life like nothing else in the world. You're not really you yet. And what if, what if this church became a church, became a place where people could come and they could just be open and honest and, and not worry about people judging them? That's what we've tried to build for 12, 13 years. We want to be a place where people can be themselves and, and be loved by God. And God loves us so much that he wants to change us. He doesn't want to leave us where we are. He wants to take us and change us and make us into something else. Instead of this stuff where I'm okay, I'm the evaluator, I will judge everybody else in my life. Danny said this in his testimony a couple of weeks ago. He said, you know, I'm a man's man. I can handle this. Could you handle it? Still can't. And, and when we admit stuff like that, the power of God is available to us. When we say, I got this, God says, go ahead. You ever do that with your children? Some kids won't learn. <laughs> I won't mention any names, but not my kids. But somebody was telling me the other day, you know, that their wife was real worried that their kid was grabbing the hot pot. And he said, he'll only do it once. She's like, no, we got to protect him. No, let him do it. That's the way God is. If you are insisting that you're going to do it your way, God says, you don't need me. But if you pause and, and you get humble before him, he says, all the power that raised Christ from the dead is available to you. And so what we do is, is we just very humbly bow before God and say, would you remake me? When, when we pray, you know, I ask everybody who's baptized, I've asked Jesus to be the forgiver of your sins and the leader of your life because your number one need, the Bible says that we're dead in our trespasses and sins. You don't need a little medicine to make you better when you're dead. You need to be revived. You need to be made alive. And that's why you ask Jesus to forgive you and he makes you alive and he becomes the leader for your life. And if God is not doing this special thing inside of us, we're not doing anything for him. We might be doing something, we might be serving, but that dark side of us, we're serving for us and not for him. But when we're humble and God uses us, amazing things happen. So this week, here's what I want everybody to pray, this, this little prayer. God, what do you want to do in here? I'm not worried about your exterior right now. I'm worried about your interior. God, what do you want to do in my heart? What do you want to do in my mind? What do you want to do with my speech, with my habits, with my ego? God, would you reveal to me as much truth as I can possibly bear right now, as your spirit will let me handle? So this week, when somebody in your family or somebody in your small group or somebody at work says something about you critical, I'm going to ask you to say, God, is there truth in what they said about me? Because this is what I've discovered. When, when I understand my position in Christ, I don't have to be anything for anybody. Because God loves me, that's never going to change. So I don't have to try to impress you. But if I impress my father, he gives me security. And then I can be open to someone saying something like, you are being a baby. That's such a better place than with this, this hard exterior, you know, our, our sin-stained hearts. In the Old Testament, God says, I will remove your heart of stone and I will give you a heart of flesh. Every one of us, every one of us, when we sin repeatedly, we become hard-hearted and we take it out on the people closest to us and we need heart surgery. And instead we go, oh, don't you question me. Don't, here's my resume. This is, this is who I am. No, it's not. Don't you say anything bad about me. No, we don't want to be those people. We want to get before God and we want to be a church and we want to have small groups where 
we allow people to speak truth into our lives. So this week, I want to challenge you. When you read the Bible, don't read the Bible because it's, it's a duty and you're trying to prove to God how much you love him. But I want you to read the Bible and say, God, will you help me become whatever this word reveals that I need to become? Will you make me moldable in your hands so that I can make you proud, God, and I can quit trying to please everybody else? Now, next week, we're going to talk about the most indispensable mirror that God gives you, so I'm going to ask you to, to be here for that. But, but here's what I want you to do. I, I want you to bow your heads and pray, and I'm, I'm going to ask everybody here to make a decision about this week. And here's what I want. If, 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 I want you to think about saying this to God. This week will be different. This week, with God's help, I will actually seek the truth about me. If somebody says something to me that's critical about me, instead of leaning away or defending or dismissing, I will actually lean in and ask them to tell me more. I want to be as wide open, God, as your spirit enables me to be. I'm just with your heads bowed. Anybody willing to do that? Got a few. God, show me the truth about me. Anybody willing to pray that prayer? Because it's kind of scary prayer. God, by the power of your Holy Spirit... Could what happened between Nathan and David happen once more here? Could the voice that wounds us also heal us and say, you're the man, you're the woman, but you don't have to be that anymore. God, would you take off the hard, scaly stuff around our hearts? Would you let us dive into that pool of grace that stings and smarts and makes us new so we could be a boy again, a girl again, we could be human again. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.